The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Discover hope and healing from the other side. Welcome to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Listen, they're all around you, close as a thought or a memory. Messages of hope. Messages of hope. Well, hi, everybody. Gosh, I love getting together with all of you to talk about some of the subjects that are near and dear to our hearts. And today the topic is near-death experiences and how that can change one's life. And my guest is Jacob Cooper, who had one of those experiences. I love having people on who have actually been across the veil while still in human form and come back to tell us about it. His happened at a very young age, and we'll hear all about that. And we'll hear all about Jacob, and hopefully it will teach you a little bit more about who we all really are. So Jacob is now a clinical social worker. He's a certified Reiki master, a certified hypnotherapist. I want to talk more about that and specializes in past life regression therapy. But it's his near-death experience that led him to write a book. So he's a pretty new author and I became acquainted with him when he reached out to me and asked me to endorse his book. So I actually do read all these books from cover to cover before I comment on them. And there, it was pretty well dog-eared and highlighted. And I think in the second half, if, if he will allow me, I'm going to actually read a rather long passage that totally touched my heart. But meanwhile, let's let Jacob touch your hearts. Welcome to the show, Jake. It's such an honor to be here with you uh, this afternoon. Thank you, Suzanne, for having me on. You're welcome. I don't know where the Jake came from. Does anybody call you that? Everyone calls me Jake. You do? Okay. <laughs> um, well, there we go. That's good. You, you know, uh, it's when I am introduced, it's it's Jacob, uh, which, which definitely has a lot of symbology with my near-death experience, which hopefully we'll get into too. But uh, I like to remain casual with Jake. Uh, but okay. yeah, I don't work for State Farm, though. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that joke. Oh no, it's a it's a it's a it's a commercial from State Farm with someone named Jake. So everyone. Oh, okay. See, I don't that. watch yeah. much TV. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. There. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's get right into the meat of this because again, that that early on near death experience pretty much framed your life. There are no accidents, so why don't you tell us about it and just go into the details because if everybody's like me, we love to hear what happened. Absolutely. I was the age of three years old. It was September of 1993. Um, it was right before the Jewish high holiday of Yom Kippur, which is 
uh, one of the most sacred, you know, days in the Jewish tradition, a day of atonement, but a day before within the Jewish faith where our souls are uh, trying to cleanse ourselves before we meet the creator so that we could have a year of health, well-being, um, you know, and just kind of removing, you know, any sin or, or, or negative behaviors that we might have done so we could start the Jewish New Year off the right way. Um, and so we'll get into the, some of the symbology soon. But at the time, in September of 1993, I was going to a park with family friends. And this was, you know, like a normal occurrence. This was a babysitter and my sibling who was with me and, and their children. And we would go to a local park, um, you know, together. And so, you know, a couple of nights before this, I just remembered having... An intensified, you know, nightmare as if I knew something profound was going to happen that I could not quite touch, mm. uh, which I really chronicle in Life After Breath. But I decided to really bury that. And I went into the car and we went to the park. But in the back of my mind, there was something profound on the horizon that I just couldn't quite identify but i had a knowing that's hard uh, enough for anybody at any age but to remember that and to know that at, at age three is is meaningful oh yes and uh, we'll get into memory uh, you know hopefully soon and how i think that this was able to be retained how that was you know possible uh but um uh, you know i was going into the car and in the car i was getting a bit nauseous uh but i suppress that because I wanted to have a good time. There was um, just kind of this familiarity of almost this swirling energy that I felt that was calling me or just wanting me. And I, I've seen this before and it felt like it was out of my control, but I, I just ignored the swirling energy that I saw within my mind's eye. And <laughs> as I got into out of the car, I went to the park, I burst out of the doors and I decided to go into a slide and climb a ladder up on the slide. And as I was climbing each rung of the ladder, I noticed that my breathing became more uh, debilitated, more resuscitated and more belabored with each rung of the ladder that I was climbing on until, you know, finally I got to the top of the ladder where I noticed that I was slowly beginning to suffocate and there was no air that mm. I was able to grasp on. I was just grasping for straws. I tried to call out, but you know, as we know, for anyone who's taking any type of CPR courses, when you're choking or suffocating, you can't speak. You're, you know, you're nonverbal. Mm -hmm. And so I was in this place between the here and there where I wasn't, you know, fully really exactly in my body because it was, wasn't functioning and I wasn't quite there. And I was just in this incubational place of endless suffering uh, and, you know, intensified trauma that I was experiencing from suffocating. Hmm. That sounds pretty awful. Yes, you know, and uh, due to the suffocation, my body's vital parts began to shut down and they weren't responsive. They weren't working as I had no oxygen flowing through me. And the last part that I remembered becoming aware of was my brain. And I was able to understand my brain through higher awareness uh, because my body wasn't really working. It's as if you try to go into your own car and the engine's not working. So what I tried to do was almost kind of get out of the car and look at the engine and see what was happening. So I was able to look at my body and I had a higher intelligence. I was able to understand a lot more that I would have been privy to at three years old 
you know, bear in mind going to, you know, medical school, uh, you know, <laughs> it's you know, some of the information uh, that was coming to me. And when I became aware of my brain, I was able to understand, you know, all the functional components of it that I wasn't privy to at the age of three. Mm. And solely due to the deprivation of oxygen, my brain literally cracked in half where I heard a large cracking sound within the brain, my brain, you know, as if you take um, a power cord in a wall and just yank it out as hard mm. as you could. And I felt a large crack you know, right in my brain. And once that happened, you know, that's when I was able to really uh, connect to that vortex that I saw in the car and it went into me, through me, and I was going on a journey a thousand miles an hour, you know, mm-hmm. upwards and upwards. So there was no end. And, you know, I literally experienced a tunnel-like sensation where I was going in on this ride. The closest reference that I could describe is if you ever go to a Six Flags theme park and go to one of their, you know, higher powered rides, you know, mm-hmm. with the most torque and speed. Sure. That what I was going, that's what I was experiencing. But this was a journey going upwards and upwards and a journey within to no end. Was there a feeling of fear at that time or had that did that disappear the moment you started on that motion? It was familiarity. It was huh. a sensation that I've been here before. I know what's going down. The emotional fear that I had was the transition that I was experiencing, the adjustment. Uh, Even at three years old, it was an acclimation where I was just thrown from one body of water into a total diametrically different body of water. Mm -hmm. And so I think the anxiety subsided, obviously, with my body suffocating Mm -hmm. um, in that place of incubational suffering that I had. But it was more of that quick, intensified, rapid transition that, you know, there was fear. And bear in mind, uh, you know, uh, you know, people will ask, what was experiencing this? Was this 30 years old telling it now or is this at three years old? And mm-hmm. I say this was an eternal soul. The deepest waters of myself was experienced this beyond time, beyond measurement, the infinite eternal part of myself was observing and experiencing this. But that came still with emotions, with thoughts, energy, with understanding, you know, so. Wow. So now we're going through this vortex. What came next? You know, right when my brain really cracked in half was when everything opened. And there's a statement that my brain cracked in half and God came in. (laughs) Literally, that happened to me. You know, when my brain cracked in half, I saw myself going and ascending a thousand miles an hour upwards and upwards where I was in this, what could I best describe as this infinite eternal light. And I was aware of my, my human brain or the right side of my brain. And behind it, you know, which I was able to see a beautiful palace and this palace was quite familiar, hmm. but it was so potent that I had to shield myself from seeing it. It was so profound and the ecstasy, the ecstasy and the euphoria of this was unlimited. You know, you see when I was looking at this palace to me, I can't say pinpointed as God as one being, you know, as one thing, because all of a sudden you have a limited God of God is just, this one thing, but, you know, you can't 
make the infinite finite because all of a sudden if you just label it then it you have a limited god but i would That's say right. to me this this was a light of infinite and a light of my connectivity my essence you know a, a place where you know the highest possible point that you could possibly imagine the climax of you know life was was infinite is what i could best describe there was in the human body, we're bioneurochemicals, so we're used to caps on how good we can feel. And hmm. being out of the body, the versatility of the word unlimited was unlimited. There, you know, it was so versatile in unlimited time, unlimited highs, unlimited, you know, imagery and you know, in light. But from looking at this palace, I could also hear vibrations and sounds, and these were what I could best describe as angelic choirs that were within this palace mm. of light. And this light and these sounds were nothing of this earth. They were completely different than anything that I've, that you could see hear, and understand because is it is far beyond the limitations of the five senses, you know? And so after that, it was an, an immense adjustment where Almost, I, I had to kind of, in a way, ground myself because ascending that high was so overwhelming that I just almost couldn't handle it. Mm -hmm. The amount of highs and the amount of lights. And, you know, it, there wasn't a definite adjustment phase. And after that, I slowly became aware of a frequency or a vibration. And this was an expression of what I could best, best describe as a Christ consciousness. It wasn't that Jesus was standing before me physically, and I was able to to see him, it was beyond that. It was, of you know, an expression, you know, or in a vibration of energy. You know, it was almost kind of like a sacred whisper that I was hearing and feeling and sensing and knowing. Mm -hmm. And I firmly believe that is at the core who we truly are, which is just merely energy, energetic expressions, energetic vibrations. Sometimes we come through and form and body, but beyond that, we are just vibrations and expressions of the divine and the all that ever is and ever was. While in the presence, you know, of, of, of Christ consciousness, uh, bear in mind, I was three years old and I grew up in a traditional Jewish Orthodox home. People forget that Jesus was, was born a Jew. You know, I can't say he ever died, but, you know, he, I guess, left his body as a Jew. And so he was more Jewish than most, you know, most Jews, in fact, but, you know, <laughs> you know, who, who might have converted, but, but it wasn't something that I was brought in with. And, and mm -hmm. so it was a quite comforting, euphoric sensation. But, you know, within that moment, you know, I could just remember fears and a sense of fears of leaving my body behind, leaving my parents behind, leaving that whole world behind. And this octave this vibration really soothed me and really allowed my spirit to really ascend and, you know. okay so here you are in physical form so something must have brought you back but did you have other experiences before that happened no question um a lot of this was you know you see people the same philosophy that i have of the other side i have of god too where you know the other side is here and also an infinite, you know, could feel infinite away. But I was going, and then moments later, I was shifting back to my body, which was at the top of the slide. 
and it was irresponsive. And I became aware of my own spiritual guides. There was a male and female entity and they were to the two sides of me. They weren't in front of me, but they, they were to the two sides of me. And I saw that through their own force, they literally allowed my body, they literally manipulated physical reality and pushed my body down the slide. At the time, I was clearly aware of their names and who they were. And I felt quite embarrassed that I forgot that they were right here with me this ah. whole time. Mm. And to this day, I have ideas, you know, of names and I, and I get their presence. But there was a no doubt and no question of their identity without any doubt, you know, in Would you call it a recognition? I would, with, with spiritual guides and what I experience with connecting to them, it's, it's almost the closest part to who you are as you know it. It's just mm. your soul and right, you know, on the most intimate part are, are, are them. And, mm. you know, people will ask me the differentiator, the difference between an angel and a guide. And I, I think guides are so much more tuned on a micro basis to individuals, you know, where angels are more macro focused. Yeah. That's they're great. more, um, I have, they have to tell you, I got to pause here because everybody's listening to this, but you and I are looking at each other through Skype with video <laughs> and Jacob it's so bizarre. I look to the left of you or it's your right side. And there's the sleeping Buddha, which I have right across the room here. And then I look to your other side, and there's this very large statue of an angel, the exact one that I have in my garden <laughs> outside. Two, We have two of the exact same icons. That's just a little God wink there wow. showing wow. the connection. Wow. But so you're watching your guides pushing your body down the slide. Did you communicate with them, words or no words? Beyond the concept of words, it was, you know, you know, essentially, you know, the feeling that I had was just a sense of transparency or, or just embarrassment that I, I forgot about them. Uh -huh. But, you know, it was it was an ascension that I had with them. You know, my spirit was, you know, felt infinitely comforted with them. And there was no after that, there was no worry, much like the Christ consciousness. There was no concern. It was all in the presence of eternal peace. Um, you know, and, and just a knowingness that I knew them, they knew me long before I got into this body. And it, it was an eternal connection, you know, with no bounds. Um, but you know, the guides pushed me down. And moments later, I saw that my body was lying there at the foot of the slide. And the people that I went to the park with that day were trying to call my name. Mm. And so my body was flatlined. But to the side of it, I was aware of my own form. I wasn't able to look at myself, but I could feel like my own shadow, my own form that was to the right side of my body. Huh. And as they were calling me, I could really understand how those in the ethers and those who have crossed over feel when they try to communicate us because they're seeing us. Yes. They're, they're trying to bang on the glass. Yes. You know, almost kind of like a caged animal who's trying to communicate and we just you know, out of sight, out of mind, you know, and that was to me very frustrating where they were like shaking my body and I was just trying to shake them back that that's not me. That yes, I, I really I never tell people me. that yeah. so often don't don't think your loved ones aren't right here trying to communicate with you. And you've expressed some frustration and there is that I'm sure at first, but everybody, trust me, your loved ones figure it out and they figure you can't see them and then they'll just try to get their signs through to you. But it's not an ongoing frustration. No, no, this was, um, you know, this was at the time, 
I think the frustration was intensified because of the situation in a sense that sure. they were trying to call to me. They're trying to speak to me. And, you know, just the fact that I could see them, they can't see me was frustrating. And, you know, I wanted to tell them that I'm okay, that all is well. I've never been better. Yeah. And I am here. I'm not there, you know, but they yeah. couldn't the time see that they were just trying to call my body and I, I could hear their words and their thoughts. And moments later, I became. You, you said that very quickly, but I find that so fascinating. And I want people to pay, make sure they heard that you hear their thoughts as well. Yeah. Yes, I will elaborate on that. And at Life After Breath, I really chronicle this. You know, when they were around me, I was not only aware of, you, know, you see, you think we know someone, you know, we see them at, at the, but, but when, you, when, you cro when you cross over, you see them from such a different angle, past the human part, past, you know, you know this front. And I was able to really have an X-ray vision of their soul. And I was able to see their electromagnetic auric fields and become aware of past lives with, with a lot of them and understanding some of their karmic ties and future premonitions, which have come to true, such, my, such as my brother getting into the medical field. And, hmm. you know, so it was an awareness far beyond, you know, even our most intimate dynamics that we could, that we think that we have, or that we have a full grasp of someone. And this was just so far beyond However, you know, the one thing that I learned is we never fully, truly grasp an understanding of someone. There's so much more to a person, even a spouse, a, a pet. We have an understanding, but it's there's so much more to that page that we see it as. And I was able to see their 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 book. But moments later, I became aware of an endless sea of angels that were literally floating very peacefully right in front of me. And wow. they were almost kind of like, I would say very uniformal. I couldn't detect so much differentiation. And these angels were, I would best describe as cherubim, or they were like child or like angels that you see, you know, within art and, you know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so I, I really fully believe when artists are drawing, you know, that's a creative exercise, but they really are channeling, sure. you know, with their right brain and they're very much an open filter. But in looking at the angels, these angels were kind of like a brown or a bronze or gold, I would say, color. And they're literally floating and I could hear them and see them, but they weren't so much concerned with me. Like I was more fascinated by them. They were just doing their thing. Uh -huh. You know, they my, my spiritual guides were focused on me, but these angels yeah. were just, you know, just just there. And the best way I could describe it is you have this reality, but a, a slight dial, a slight tick overlaying this was the filter of this of this realm of this angelic realm and so they're all around us at all times we just sometimes forget and that's it and that's that's part of my teaching all the time is that we the the remote control is our into is our intention and our belief fuels that and what realm do you want to tap into you control the remote control interesting oh. Absolutely. And so I was in awe at them, but at the same time, you know, that that adjustment phase, you know, you still carry some of the adjustment or skepticism. I would say it was I was just overwhelmed by it, but I'm like, I I just remembered having a thought like, you know, I know what these are, but like, oh my God, am I hallucinating or are these are this real? And then, you know, part of me just grounded that thought and just understood that 
this this was home this was mm. you know you know more real than anything that i've ever seen in my in, in life at that time and within moments later after seeing them i became aware of what they were doing they were really sending you know their own energy their own healing to the planet to the situation mm. and they were just beings that had no identity other than serving and giving light and giving love and giving healing that was it there was no we're used to if we do something good we expect something back the best way i could describe it was the highest most unconditional evolved degree mm -hmm. of love and um uh, infinite love which has no cap it's you know there's no I bounds love, to it. i love that you've shared that with all of us who may think we're alone to to know that you saw that this realm exists and that's their way of helping us oh yes and sometimes the greatest the, the 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 you know working in the mental health field i think synonymous with suffering is is the feeling of isolation you know i think many times those are core morbid with each other is you know that that feeling of alone and i think a lot of that is because that really goes against our phyla you know we are beings yes we have our identity but we are infinitely connected to so much more than this one person you know yeah. this one individual and you know that's one of the messages that I really took from that was, you know, the the illusion of being alone and not having these beings all around us at all times mm. and seeing ourselves looking up at us and not down at us and seeing us through such a deeper lens than the critical mind sometimes sees ourselves as. So. I love that. It so validates the way the Daily Way messages that I get from guides always end with you are so very loved yeah yeah you know and it's 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 you know the one thing that that i have had a hard time with delivering is just how different the principles and energy is over there than it is over here mm -hmm. you know in so many accounts and i think within each lifetime the collective and individual is trying to find parallels you know, to bring that here, obviously, and elevate consciousness. But, um, you know, we're not used to, most of us are not used to being loved for who we are. We're used to being loved for what we do. Yeah, good point. You know, and so the transactional, minute-to-minute um, self-evaluatory level of love is much different than the unconditional degree of love, uh, you know, that that's on the other side. You know, in moments, yes. Well, we're going to have to go to break here in just a few seconds. And so I love that we're not even through your near-death experience, and yet so much wisdom is coming from it. We're talking to Jacob Cooper. His book is Life After Breath, and I love the tagline, how a brush with fatality gave me a glimpse of immortality. So come on back after the break, and we're going to hear the rest of the story. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, 
a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back. You're listening to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Hey, everybody. We're talking with a pretty young guy here, 30-year-old Jacob Cooper, who had a near-death experience far younger than that at three years old. And we've just been going through the the sequence of events during his near-death experience. And I want to hear more, Jacob. Absolutely. We have to correct that in a couple of weeks. I'll be 31 the same day as Shirley MacLaine, April 24th. But uh, yeah, you know, so when my body was, you know, really irresponsive and after seeing the sea of angels, solely within the distance, I became aware of a soul group or, or, or different family members that I knew, you know, throughout the onset of time. And they were huddled around me as my body was there you know, lifeless. And I just felt, you know, in a sense, um, how could I best describe this? And I know I speak about this in Life After Breath. I'll I'll use familiar terms. You know, have you ever made like a big promise, like you're going to go, for instance, to the army or something like that, and you have all these big gala parties and you make all these promises. And then a week later, you you come back. And so when I was connecting to this, to my soul family member, I just remembered the charting phase of this life and how, you know, a lot of this was was planned and ordained. And and then, you know, three years later to come back at them, I'm like, damn, I want to complete this. I want to do this. Did you feel you from know. them of what are you doing here feeling? No, no. Oh, OK, that, this was my own stuff that I had from them. It was it was it was a tremendous reunion and it, it was it was a real unconditional love that I got from them, but it almost just felt like um, a little bit of meshed. You know, if you watch Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and you see the grandparents there just yeah. on the bed, when you go with their soul family, it's it's just a part of you that you see almost, and it's just represented in different different people and identities, but it's a similar octave. Uh, it's interesting that. to me because you're three years old and you can't have that many people that you knew in this physical manifestation across the veil. So you just knew that you'd been around some lifetimes with this group. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I it would be very hard, hopefully you know, three years old to lose that many people at, you right. know, at that time. Uh, this was a soul family group that was past life connected, you know, mm. uh, the way I see soul family is it's, it's kind of like a similar octave or expression of divine. And you gather with a similar expression of the divine. You know, I once had a, an aunt of mine who was on her deathbed and she told me the word picture. And she said, if you ever look at the, if if you ever look at a picture of a family, there's distinct physical differences. But when you look in the dip depths of the eyes, you connect to the soul, and there's an undeniable, uniformal connection to that. And then, about a year or two later, I was sitting with the medium who, you know, she passed away literally a month ago, 
And she said, I'm connecting to your aunt. And why is she telling me the word picture, picture, picture? And that validated the profound message of soul group and soul family, this infinite eternal connection. And, and it's from, why you sometimes meet somebody here and you just take one look at them and there's a recognition, even if you never met before. There's yeah. there's a beyond of a knowing that, that you have, um, you know, that's unexplainable when you just see them for the first time. And I know that with my husband, Ty. Yes. He, yes, he would yes. validate that. Uh, You're just uh, meant to be together. Absolutely. And, it, and it's natural. It's smooth. There's no effort. You just get each other, you know, and uh, no amount of time in this lifetime could could build that up. It had to come from something else, much like other talents or Mozart playing at a young age or, you know, it's it's these are things that you just can't accumulate within life, one lifetime, I, I firmly believe. But in connecting with them, I was posed a question as to what I would do in terms of staying or going. And I decided to get my delegated hat on and I said, well, if I do stay, you know, on the other side, what will, if I do stay in this lifetime, what will come out of it? Where will I go with it? And then slowly I began to see different images that came to my mind's eye. And these images were coming to me very quickly. And these images were relayed from this lifetime. And then almost kind of like you look at us. Like a preview of coming attractions. Like we have the life review after a life, but this is like the life preview. This was um, a life review, I would say, of the life that I lived in my lifetime and also past life reviews where Mm -hmm. I was aware of other lifetimes. And literally, I saw myself and I saw the planet and right in overlaying kind of like, um, I would say, a parallel universe of this universe. I was going and bouncing like a ping pong ball to different countries that I lived on. And, you know, and I was aware of other carnations in different lifetimes, but the most close to heart lifetime that stuck with me was a lifetime that I became aware of that I took my own life. I was a teacher and I just had a hubris and a fall from grace and I I was cornered and I just felt there was no message of hope. There was no hope. And slowly but surely, I began to see the faces of the students that I had within that lifetime it became just wrought with emotion from that and i just remembered from seeing that lifetime the clear understanding after leaving that that no matter what you're going through you know there's an infinite part of ourselves that's profoundly stronger than any challenges that lie in front of us much like with my near-death experience when i was suffocated from breath there was an infinite spirit that i connected to far greater you know than than the suffering that i had and just the understanding of the illusion of temporary suffering, suffering the eternal light that we truly are at our core, you know, and then, yes. Well, you just, I, I keep going back to, I can usually hear other people's thoughts as they're listening on this show. And, and here you're three years old, but you're very clearly giving the sense that you were timeless during this experience outside of the body that was breathless. Yes. You know, I would say no person is their physical chronological age. No person is a true representation of themselves to the world. There's an outer representation, but underneath that is a whole other lying inner part of ourselves. And I view that as a sacred eternal observer. And so we don't come into this lifetime as just bodies. We come to this lifetime as infinite souls. And I firmly believe that it takes time between the soul and the body to 
connect with each other or the inner and the outer to match each other, mm-hmm. you know, and that takes time, the guitar player and the guitar to familiarize themselves with each other. And so when I was having this near-death experience, I just was able to look at age in a whole new way where I was not this three-year-old. I was not this blank canvas. I was an infinite eternal soul far greater than this page of the book that people saw me as. I was beyond the page. I was the I was the entire book and encyclopedia and then some of other carnations. And so this was an intimate awareness of a timeless soul in overcoming the temporary identity with a chronological age as my identity. Beautiful. And, and so experiencing this I was then shown feature imagery of the life that I would live. And I saw a lot of students and, and, and groups that I was speaking to. And it wasn't that I saw myself as some pompous teacher greater than students. It was that I saw that I was one with this, I was one with the participants. It wasn't so much about the messenger, but the message itself, it, you know? And so myself was ta- myself and the ego was taken outside. And I saw that, you know, the hereafter is beautiful. It's always there. The window of bringing the hereafter into the here now was a unique potential that I had from having this transformative experience. And with that thought, I said, as beautiful as heaven is, bringing that to the lives of the other, being the harbinger of good news is that we don't die. We are eternal and we have an eternal breath, even when literally and metaphorically our breath is taken away that we can never truly die. And that was a message that I wanted to recall. And from facing my own immortality, my own suffocation, I found an eternal breath within. And this eternal breath was was who I am. You know, within the Jewish tradition, and today is actually Holocaust Remembrance Day. Mm. You know, I know a lot of family members of mine were slaughtered in, in the camps. But within the Jewish tradition, the word for spirit is ruach, which literally means the wind or the breath of God. And I experienced from having my breath zapped away that I remembered an eternal breath of God that I was created from that that I could never be removed from. Even if my own breath or my own body was taken away, it was a reminder that from losing my breath, I found a new breath. From losing myself, I found a new self. And so that's something that I remembered. And Moments that's later, a, that's our yeah. goal for everybody, well, isn't it? Yes, yeah. you know, and I think when people are suffering, a lot of times, and I experienced this in my last carnation, with when I had the suicide, is we just almost feel suffocated. And I think on a macro basis, I expedited life after breath to get it to today's times because all you hear on literal or metaphorical basis were people just feeling out of sorts, out of breath. And, you know, my goal was really to have this book to infuse a new breath of life, to infuse an inspired breath. And we inhale in spirit and exhale, we experience that new level of awareness. And I think the breath is the ultimate gift. And from losing that, I had an immense amount of appreciation for it because that really allows us to be in this body. And I wanted to do my best to honor that on a personal basis but also to infuse inspiration, which is the oxygen of the soul. And that's what's needed in today's day and age. Beautifully stated. Wow. So you saw some of your future. You must already have some sense that you're going to come back. What else did you experience there? I, I became aware of this. And once I agreed on the future, 
you know, a lot of things dissipated from myself, family members, my guides were starting to fade the angels. And I was left with a thought, which was, I knew that I made a decision and it was black or white. It, it, there was no in between. And, and so I chose this body. I chose to continue, you know, living this life as, as three-year-old Jake. And I just said, how do I know that this is going to happen? I had my own doubts that, you know, when you, when you turn, when you turn down the afterlife, you want to mm-hmm. guarantee almost that it's going to be productive, that you're not going to be burned at the stake or suffering your whole life or anything like that. And the message that I got was the power of thought, the power of perception, the power of entrusting your thoughts as the ultimate superpower at the highway that you could take for the life that you have. Is everybody now, listening? So I became, <laughs> I became aware of that, that superpower, where in a sense that we are birthed from an infinite intelligence far greater than our own. And so at times when our thoughts are vibrating at a lower octave, our attraction gets off kiltered from you know the path that we were supposed to be and many times the higher we see ourselves the more we're able to go through life with grace and ease and flow and trust versus giving more power to our own fears and having that govern our own lives and so i was able to understand the value of trust and the value of an infinite intelligence far greater than my own fears and entrusting that awareness as my guiding doesn't hurt to know really know now you have these guides literally on each side of you and this phalanx of cherubim around (laughs) helping you along the way all of us do all of us do yes what i wanted to make clear within my near-death experience and the reason why i got you know memoir focused was you know since doing talks since around 2016 the common theme is people get inspired but they just don't know what to do with it. And so my goal is for people to not be defined by my story. I don't pretend to have a monopolization on the hereafter. My goal is for this to feel a little bit familiar, to have a little bit of amnesia, to not be defined by my story, but to find yourself in my story so that you could really redefine your story and how you see the nature of consciousness and the nature of reality. Well, it's an excellent goal, and you're doing an excellent job of it right now. So what else did you experience before coming back? Any, Anything else? Well, I remembered my mother was, you know, after this, I remembered being able to go back and forth and see my body transported, you know, on the ambulance because I was suffocated and I was lifeless. And so they called the ambulance. And did I was they ever rushed. figure out what caused that, by the way, just briefly? Yes. So I didn't, <laughs> I can't believe I didn't say this early on. I had something called pertussis, which generically is known as whipping cough, mm-hmm. and left untreated for an infant, a child, or even some adults could be fatal. And so that led to my suffocation was whipping cough. Mm-hmm. And I, it's, it's, it's interesting because it's a highly contagious upper respiratory virus. And, you know, huh. I, I didn't necessarily intend to, but this was happening as I was finishing up the last pieces of life after breath. And so I tried to expedite it because there was so much symmetry with yeah. what was happening, the world around me. And mm-hmm. so I caught it. Then a couple of days later, my brother caught whooping cough and his reaction wasn't as strong as mine, but we were both in the hospital bed because mm-hmm. whooping cough is quite dangerous and it can certainly be fatal. Well, it was um, to you, but you, know, you had other plans. Yeah. Yes. You know, and, 
I remembered waking up on the hospital bed and being aware of my mother who was quite distraught. And that same sensation that I had with trying to express myself to the people around me and to hear myself, that sensation lasted for around 20 years. Oh my. Where I wasn't able to fully express what happened to me through words to anyone around me. And so there was something inside of me, but I just couldn't come up with the words to really have it. And it's something that I held sacred within. And so becoming aware of my mother, I, in a way, the pedestal that I have of her, and it's not a knock on her, was that I saw that she was my mother within this lifetime, but she wasn't all knowing. She wasn't aware mm-hmm. of what I had. And there was, you know, I think with parents, we feel that they're omnipotent. They know everything. They know more than us. And having this experience, I saw that she wasn't aware, even if I tried to express this of what was happening to me. And that was a suffocating experience in itself where I felt isolated and alone. Um, and it was traumatic to to feel that degree of isolation. Moments later, I became aware of this, that I, due to the trauma that I had, which was a double-edged sword, you know, on one hand, as a psychotherapist, the trauma allowed me to retain the near-death experience and remember not just it, but the surrounding events of it. But, you know, with, with it was, you know, emotions that I had that I couldn't quite channel or express. And I literally, the doctor tried operating me, and I wish I could say this another way, but I became so angered that I you know, literally got physical with the doctor and kicked the doctor and ran around the room. (laughs) And I think a lot of it was just the intensified transition that I was having from being on the other side and then waking up in a cold hospital bed with all this inside of me and not being able to express it. And that manifested itself as anger, Yeah, you know, which, which I had a lot as a kid. And I was, you know, each kid in my family grew up with the same food, the same house, but I was by far the most defiant and the most difficult. And I do think the double-edged sword phenomena, the near-death experience, you know, influenced that a lot. The contrast is tremendous. You go from that place of what sounds like bliss and what we call heaven, and then to be thrust back here and have to deal with this reality, this challenging for many. That and just the difficulty of people seeing you and not really seeing you, you know, they were seeing an image of you, but they weren't seeing the real you. And it's still something that I have a struggle with today is just explaining that we are not these physical bodies. We are not our chronological ages. We are eternal, infinite consciousness and souls. And, you know, that's really been the driving force, the driving impetus of my work was really to allow people to really have greater connectivity to the deeper truth of themselves rather than the part that they think of themselves as, but really it's a part that we're just almost kind of living, you know, based off of how people have seen us as, you know, and we're Mm -hmm. living that, you know, portrayal. You said at the beginning of the show that your name, Jacob, is somehow symbolic with your near-death experience. Would you explain that? Yes. You know, if those are familiar with the Old Testament, um, you know, in the Christian Judeo tradition, at, at the least, you know, the story goes where Jacob, biblical Jacob, was uh, fleeing his brother Esau and fleeing for his life. And he was took a stop and he set aside a bed of rocks 
And this right now is in a place in Israel called Beth El or Beit El, translated as a house of God. And I actually have visited Beit El or Beth El. And Jacob had a pillars of rocks that he put his head under to sleep at night. And while he was dreaming, he saw angels going up and down the ladder. Hence <laughs> the term, the popular term, Jacob's ladder. And he saw the angels going up and down the ethers. And that's quite a versatile term, but, you know, principle or philosophy. But at least to me, it reminds me of the rungs of evolution, the rungs of eternal rungs of eternity, how we have the earth, you know, here, but an infinite amount of rungs, you know, to to eternity. And each lifetime that we live, you know, hopefully we grow and ascend to a new rung of consciousness, a new rung of understanding. And I do believe the value of remembering allows us. I think a lot of people will say that we came here to learn, we're bad, we're this, we're that. I think not necessarily we're here to learn, we're here to remember, we're here to embody the beauty that we are. And I think getting past a lot of the illusionary um, viewpoints that, that have been portrayed on us and limiting consciousness, limited consciousness, and to get past that, to be empowered within our own eternal truths. Well, it's stories like yours and the beautiful way you're expressing it today that help us to do that. So I'm really grateful for the beautiful way you're expressing this. Uh, when we first started and you and I were bringing up Skype so we could look at each other, you said, I can't see you, I can't see you, and I could see you. And you said, well, I'll just use my third eye, which just, I loved that. Because for those of you not familiar with it, that's your soul sense, your soul vision. You don't need the physical eyes. So this tells me that you have somehow tapped into your soul senses. Is that a direct result of your near-death experience, something you've carried with you throughout your life or something as the result of what, what you've chosen to learn as a result of your NDE? I, I, I think intuition, you know, is within all of us. Um, but I think having near-death experience changed a lot of my bio-neurochemistry. From having my brain literally snap in half, I look at that and just remember that the brain is just merely the filter of consciousness. And I speak about this in Life After Breath. You know, after that experience, there was just this veil of light that was going into my brain where I was literally able to go into the doorways of eternity. And I had a lot of interdimensional communication. And I firmly believe that the brain is the filter between the two worlds. And I think firmly, if we're able to really get quiet, get into the sacred silence of eternity, we're all able to hear, intuit, and listen to the eternal flow, not flowing from us, but through us, you know. Beautiful. Well, you've clearly carried over the lessons that you learned there and applied them through your life. I did learn in your story, you know, you had a, you did not have an easy go of it. And you have had a, a very challenging struggle with self-confidence and and overcoming obstacles and you're very courageous in explaining all of that in your story but at the same time there's a beauty in there that I remember when I read your book to endorse it for you I highlighted one section and actually shared it in one of my monthly mentoring <laughs> webinars long I before the that. book yeah. even came out yeah. and it had to do with when you ran into your old principal from high school at a church service or a funeral. I can't remember what it was at the time. Right. Yeah. But 
but you said something really nice to him and he snapped at you. Oh, I remember you, it's right here. He said, you know, stop sucking up to me. Right, <laughs> right, right. What a slap in the face. I'm not grading your paper. And, and, and you say you blinked a little caught, caught off guard. This was the part I, I asked if I could share it later in the show with people. And then you say, I tapped into my heart and recognized the root issue of why people judge. When I chose to be light, that was what I saw in others. The world was merely a reflection and trick of the mind for really what was inside. And then you came back and you said something truly kind to that principle. And, and he almost couldn't hear it. He was so used to putting up that wall. And you said it again and you brought tears to his eyes. And I just want to quote you here from your book, Life After Breath. I learned to look at others through the God lens to see the depths of a soul rather than through the surface. That's beautiful. You know, I... I do believe we're not just here to create heaven on earth. I do believe we are all heaven, literally on earth. That's where we come from. The earth is not our home. And I think retaining the vantage point, the as above, so below. And just as the angels see us you know, past our defaults, they see us infinitely greater than what we do. I do believe we're here to embody that same vantage point to how we interact and see each other. It's not just that we go on the other side and become this these beautiful guides. I think it starts, you know, here. Here is a, a training course to be able to see others differently. Certainly if we speak to plants and we build up plants in the equal study, one plant will go greater than the other. The same thing with ourselves and the same thing with another. And it's just amazing how if you tell someone something, they just become that. They remember that. And I view a lot of people who might have ill will or, you know, all that other stuff. It's not that they are that they are just separated from themselves. And that's, you know, that's a painful part to be in. And we just wish that they come back to that true part of themselves. And oftentimes when we come through those angles. People all have the same needs. They want to be validated. They want to be heard. They want to be put up, you know, and, you know, it's just amazing you know, not all are like that, you know, but I think a lot of people, when you look up at them, look down on them, there's a change of energy that happens and there's a shift that happens within yourself and within that person. Well, I applaud your efforts to help us make that shift, Jacob. I love the the imagery you just gave us of seeing ourselves as the angels do. We are out of time. I hope you all have enjoyed this beautiful conversation as much as I do. Thank you so much, Jacob Cooper. My honor. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you, listeners. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Do you ever feel that calling that you should be doing more with your life? If you're unhappy with the status quo, I can help. My name is Elias Patras, and I'm an intuitive motivator, psychic medium, and motivational speaker. I know that feeling, and on my podcast, Your Inner Voice, I can help you answer that call to step into your life's purpose. 
I will show you how to recognize and listen to the signs and signals that are all around us and help you tap into your intuition. Join me for the show here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and wherever you get your podcasts. Let's connect, educate, and grow on this journey together.